Good morning. Welcome to our worship service this morning. Very glad to see all of you here. It's that time of year when colds and sniffles and things start to happen, and sometimes there's fewer in our midst, and we haven't hit Christmas yet, so we haven't had people leaving for, for that. So I'm glad to have you here. I really enjoyed the uh, Christmas songs, Lyle. Thanks for leading those. And uh, I was just thinking, thinking that through as we were singing. It seems that universally Christmas is, is observed in some form or other, <clears throat> and yet how sad that so many, while they desire a Savior, do not embrace Him as their Lord. And so I'm glad that we, I'm glad we celebrate Christmas. I think it's something worth celebrating, but I also think it's worth remembering everything else that Jesus did. And Easter, really, for the Christian, is uh, probably even a greater celebration when we think about what Christ has done. I don't plan to preach about Christmas. We are two weeks away from that but I have something else I'd like to share this morning. But before we get into the message, shall we bow our heads and pray? Father, we come before you this morning. We are grateful for your mercies that are new to us this morning. We sincerely desire to be in your presence, to give you the glory and honor you deserve through worship. And also, Lord, we desire to learn more of you and to learn more of your truth. And Lord, in in this audience, we are very familiar with so much truth, probably more than we've even believed and practiced, and yet, Lord, we believe that preaching of the Word is is vital to the health of the church, to our own lives. So I pray, Lord, that whatever you have for us this morning, we would receive it as from you through your Word. And Father, I just pray that each of us would be willing to examine our own hearts this morning. We invite you, we ask you, Lord, come into this service May you be honored and glorified. We ask you to protect us from the evil one. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, keep us from his distractions. We also pray for the worship service at Cornerstone Chapel this morning. Our brother, as he preaches there, I ask you to be with them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been in this series now for a couple messages on headship, and I know as time goes on and Weeks go between times that we preach, sometimes you kind of lose track of where we are. And so I'd like to stay on this, I'd like to get through this series, possibly one more message on this. And um, I don't know what all you remember from the past messages, but I'd like to just briefly touch back on a few concepts that I've presented in this idea of of God's order, headship. title this morning is The Headship Order in Marriage. Uh, some of the things that we touched on in, in the first message actually referred back to the Genesis account, how God made creation, uh, he created order, the way he uh, brought Adam first, then Eve, and this was one of the slides I had up in, the pre- in that message, was God's order of headship and authority as seen in the scripture accomplishes several things. It provides an ordered structure for mankind to live and thrive within. It is a visible display of the relationship with Christ and the church. It's a great mystery. And that second part is more where we're going to be at today in the message. Uh, But basically, the God has created order, and it is functional because we live in families without structure, without authority. You can't even have a society. You You can't have people working together. But it's even beyond that. It's also a visible sign. And this morning, as we talk about marriage, it's maybe going to be uh, fleshing that out a little bit more is, how does this visible sign work? How does it work in marriage? Uh, He calls it, Paul calls it a great mystery. And then another thing in the last message was more of a focus on the purpose of submission in this order. And here we said a submission is a method of resolution of wills. One of the uh, examples I used was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he struggled with going through with what his father wanted him to do, he had to lay down his will after asking three times for his father to take this cup away from him. Second point there was the test of submission is when our will comes into conflict with the will of my authority. And I think I made the comment in one of those messages, and, it's, and I believe this still to be true, that most times in this living under authority, most times 
we're not up against the wall of our will versus another. But when there is a conflict of wills, when Jesus says, God, I don't want this, and God says, yes, Jesus, you must go through with it, then he, he does the act of submission and, and in obedience. <clears throat> but uh, today, as I was thinking about that some more, how I defined it the last time, that submission is only really necessary when there's a conflict of wills, I think it is more than that as well. I think submission is us uh, maybe agreeing with God or accepting the role we're in. So this morning as we talk about marriage, there clearly is different roles in marriage. So while the act of submission sometimes mean I have to consciously come under someone else's authority, there's also the idea of submission being I accept where God has placed me, and I'm not chafing in that area where he's placed me. Even if, that, even if there is no conflict of will, I'm still submitted to where God has placed me in the order. And I hope you, I hope you understand that as we get into the concept of a husband and wife. <clears throat> and then the last point there, submission is the evidence of coming under authority structure God has placed us in, kind of that idea I just described. I also had this up last time, headship and authority in God's design. There is headship, there's loving authority, and then in the submission, there is a glad, a willing submission. And this is even more true in marriage. I'll describe that for us this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians. Five, be our primary text this morning. Ephesians chapter five. I'm going to be reading, uh, starting in verse twenty-one. To 33, and I invite you just to keep your Bibles open to that passage. We'll be doing a little bit of um, study out of that. Ephesians chapter 5, reading in verse 21. <clears throat> the first verse actually is still talking to all of us, and then he enters marriage. But I wanted to include this verse because we talked about this before, that the idea of submission, uh, Christ calls each of us to be submitted to one another in the church. So submit, submission is not simply a marriage concept, but we are to submit to one another. <clears throat> Here it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. <clears throat> Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife she reverence her husband. <clears throat> this passage lays out fairly clearly what the roles are of a godly husband and a godly wife. And as we narrow this idea of headship down now into marriage, um, maybe at the outset, just want to say... I think is pretty clear on what the roles are, and it can almost sound a little bit, I'm not quite sure how to describe it. When it says, wives submit, I think if, if there's any kind of a reaction to that idea in our minds, I think it again comes back to misconceptions of how this is supposed to work. And maybe at the outset, I'd like to also say, I believe these, these concepts of wives submitting and husbands being an authority only work when you have 
the Spirit of God living within your heart. And you're going to see this morning in this passage, the weight of this largely falls on the man. It's pretty, pretty clear that the man is mentioned multiple times here. Without God's love within the heart of a husband, <clears throat> he's not going to adequately be able to love his wife the way Christ does it. And so if we see this and say, well, if our priority of marriage is personal happiness, and I would say that's probably true of most of the world, at this point, you know, the world still recognizes marriage even though our culture is confused about it, but probably most people view marriage as something for self-fulfillment, a self-happiness, you know, the raising of children, but ultimately that my needs and desires are met. And so when you think two people coming into a marriage with the idea that I need my needs met. And if they come into the marriage thinking, you know, I'll bring my half and my spouse brings my half and we're going to make a marriage work. Well, you know, that's, that's not going to work. The only way it works is if both bring 100% of themselves and are willing to be uh, willing to deny themselves. That's, that's the nature of Christ. So the only way a marriage functions in a way that actually displays God's order properly, it takes two believers who have been born again, who have dealt with the selfishness in their lives, and when they work together, it actually is a very beautiful thing. Now, I'm not saying, uh, Paul also talks about being in a marriage where there is an unbeliever. He gives, he gives instructions about how to handle that, but I'm saying when we're talking about God's picture of Christ and the church being expressed at its fullest, I believe it takes two people who are fully committed to the marriage, who have, who have dealt with some of that selfishness in their lives, and they are looking out completely for the needs of their spouse. That's when it becomes a very beautiful thing. <clears throat> Notice here in our passage, in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to hit it this morning, but elsewhere, I think it's in 1 Peter. Uh, twice in this phrase, it mentions... Wives are to submit to their own husbands. So in the marriage, the wife submits to her husband, but she is not submissive to the other men in the church in the same way. Does that make sense? It specifies she is to submit to her own husband. So the idea is not that the wife submits to all the men of the church, necessarily, unless it's in another structure of authority. But in the marriage, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands, specifically to your husbands. Well, the question comes up at times, what if my husband isn't leading well? What if the husband is, is out of line? He's not leading and loving like Christ. What is the wife supposed to do? Is she still supposed to submit? Well, Paul doesn't really make any exceptions here, but notice the key phrase at the end of this verse, as unto the Lord. If a wife finds her husband very difficult to submit to. It says she is to do it as if she's doing it to the Lord. In a, in a sense, she is transmitting or she is committing her husband to the Lord by that act. If her husband's not leading well, she still submits, but she's doing it as unto the Lord, and if the Lord needs to deal with her husband, he can. I'm sure for a wife it can be very frustrating and perhaps even very tempting to say, my husband doesn't, he doesn't deserve, he doesn't deserve my uh, submission or my respect. But I don't think Paul is giving an out for that. But he says the attitude is, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And if the Lord wants to deal with my husband, he can do that. So that's the first command, the first role to the wife. Then the next verse, it jumps over to the husbands. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So here you have now the establishment of the order. It says it's the wife is to submit. And then the husband, he is the head. He is the leader or the authority in this home, but it makes the comparison the same way as Christ is the head of the church. And I noticed in this passage, every time it talks about the husband, the husband is compared to Christ, either how Christ loves or how Christ is the head. In the wife, her comparison is to the church. So very much he lays out this picture, Christ and the church, the man represents Christ, the woman represents the church in the way she responds to her husband. Then you go into verse 24. It jumps back to the wife again. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
How is the church subject to Christ? We believe that Christ is Lord. We believe that um, we are in obedience to Christ. And when you transfer that to marriage, it sounds so inequitable. It just doesn't work in our culture today to say, well, the husband's going to take advantage of that position, isn't he? How is the wife supposed to? That, that's not fair. You know, they should be on, on an equal plane. And this is, not, this is not an issue of value or of equality. It's an issue of responsibility and position. So let's get that clear. A wife is not inferior to her husband. Uh, God formed Adam first, then Eve. It was not because she was less than. It was because he needed her to complement what he was lacking. So as the church is submit, submissive to Christ, the wife also submits to her husband. Now, Christ never fails us, right? Christ never fails us. The church can always depend on Christ. Husbands sometimes fail their wives. What's a wife supposed to do when her husband fails her? Well, he says he's, she's to submit to her husband and trust Christ in that. So that's her responsibility. She is like the church in the way she submits to her husband. Now let's go to verse 25. We'll jump back to the husband again. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. To me, this is kind of almost the defining verse of the passage when, it, when it's talking about how this is going to work. The only way it's going to work well for a wife to submit to her husband is if her husband gets this verse, he believes it, and he does it. He's to love, how? The way Christ loved. How did Christ love? He gave up himself. He completely gave up, gave up himself. He died for his bride, the church. So husbands, as the authority struck, as, as the head in your home, you're going to die to yourself. You need to die to yourself the way Christ died for his bride, the church. If you're still hanging on to this as a way to get what you want, then there's going to be some chaos. So this love is an agape love, loving our wives with the love that Christ has put within us. Now we have natural love. Probably everybody enters marriage, whether Christian or non-Christian, everyone enters marriage with good lovey feelings, right? There's romance and there's excitement and you, and you get swept into marriage. But that's not really agape. Agape is the love that, that loves when it doesn't feel like. It's the love that only God can give us. And so husbands, you love your wife like that, and you give up yourself. That means being willing to lay down yourself for her sake. The next couple of verses talk about the way Christ sanctifies his church. Now, as husbands, we can, I don't believe we can sanctify our wives. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think I think there's a picture of what Christ does for the church. I cannot sanctify my wife. That's Christ's work in her, in her life. Um, I cannot do the cleansing of her sin. And, but I believe it is my responsibility as a husband to promote that in my wife. Um, praying for her, seeking for her good, helping her grow in her relationship with Christ. And, and as I lead her, I'm helping her in that process of, of Christ sanctifying her. So it is a picture of, of the way Jesus feels about his bride. It says he's going he's gonna to get her just spotless. I mean, she's going to be so beautiful that when it talks about Revelation, you know, that whole, that whole consummation of, of Jesus coming for his bride, the church, talks about her being in, in fine white linen. So the picture is, is Christ loves his bride that much that he's going to make her perfect. So for us in marriage, our goal is that our wives become everything that Christ wants them to be that they become sanctified, that they become, that they grow, that they're becoming more and more into the image of Christ. That's our responsibility as, as husbands. Verse 30 talks about the uh, connection that we have with Christ. So it, le it leads up, remember we said earlier about, uh, he calls this a great mystery. The mystery, I think, is, is how Christ and the church become one. And it's also a mystery in marriage. How can you have one man and one woman and they still become one? It's mysterious. But here he gives it actually physical characteristics. He says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And that's talking about Christ and the church. That's kind of, a, that's kind of a, um, a marvelous way to think about it. We actually are so one with Christ that it describes us in, in same physical characteristics. We become like Christ. And so in our, in our relationship with Christ, as we grow and as we mature, and as we take on his character, we start 
to be like him. We start to represent him in that way. So that's the, that's the closeness. <clears throat> so in this way, I think marriage is the same. In, uh, in verse 31, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now this passage is by Paul, but Jesus also quoted this in the Gospels. And you go back to Genesis, and this was also said, that a man will leave his father and mother, he's going to be joined his wife, and that union will make a one flesh union. And he says that's always been representing Christ and the church. This is the mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the idea is a man must leave, and then he must cleave. The two of them, they leave their parents, they leave their family, they establish a brand new unit. And that oneness is now the picture of Christ and his relationship to his bride, the church. And then verse 33 here, he says, Let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. This is back to the idea that a man must be willing to die to his own desires, be willing to sacrifice himself, love his wife so much that it's the same love that he would have for his own body. That's the way, that's the way we love our wives. Love your wife as much as you love your, your own body or even as much as you love yourself. And if you love her in that way, she's going to want to respond to that love. But then it goes back to one more responsibility for the women, for the wife. It says, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Some places interpret that as respect. I think that's a good, I think that's a good representation of that. So you see the back and forth. Uh, probably many of you are familiar with the book of Love and Respect and that whole series, but it talks about just that, that circular process of when a husband loves his wife, she desires to respect him, and as she respects him, he loves her, and it, it's, a, it's a good process. But it also can go the other way. When there's friction in a marriage, um, maybe a husband is unloving, and then she loses respect for him, and it starts to grow, and it, it creates a cycle that's very destructive. But in this case here, he says, husband, love your wife just like you would yourself. And wife, you commit yourself to love your husband. So as I see it, the weight of this passage lar uh, largely falls on husbands. So husbands, we are the head like Christ is head of the church. We're supposed to love like Christ loved the church to the point of giving ourselves up. That was the second thing. Uh, in verses 26 and 27 where it says, talks about sanctifying cleansing, we're supposed to promote our wife's holiness with the same kind of attentiveness that Christ gives the church. That's our third responsibility. We're supposed to love our wives as our own bodies. That's another responsibility. And then uh, he says we're supposed to leave and cleave to our wives. Another responsibility there. So husbands, this falls largely on, on you and I in this order. And then the wife's role, she's to submit as unto the Lord, even if it's difficult, and she is to... Um, says subject herself, which is basically the same as submit, as the church is to Christ. And then her third responsibility is respect her husband. Now, that, looking at one passage here, I, think, I don't think this is new to any of us, this role. Um, but I think it's, it's foundational if you're thinking about, young people, if you're thinking about going into marriage, it's, it's important to understand the differences in roles. And probably most of you this morning think, well, I'm not, you know, not going to get married yet. But it's something to start thinking about is what, if I'm going to be um, a suitable partner for someone else, what, what am I going to be called to? So for you men, you young men, you are called to be one who loves. You're going to be called to be one who is in an authority structure. And with authority comes tremendous amounts of responsibility. If we take on authority for our own selfish desires and we're going to be, you know, we're going to be the boss, we quickly will lose the respect of the one we are trying to lead, whether that's in a marriage or otherwise. As, we, as you think about possibly getting married someday, think about more, maybe more focus should be on, am I becoming the right person rather than can I find the ideal mate? And sometimes maybe a lot of weight has been put on as what kind of a person should I be looking for in marriage? And that's important. You want to pick the right person. But just as important is, is becoming that kind of a person? Are you a suitable person for marriage? And these are some of the roles that were described. 
So if we understand, if we believe, and I think, I think probably most of us here accept the two roles here as, as the Bible teaches it. Husbands are to lead. Uh, wives are to be in submission to their husbands in their, following their leadership. But let's, I'd like to get a little bit more practical this morning, just break it down into how do we, how do we live this out? I just want to say, too, that I believe marriage, godly Christian marriages, have probably some of the greatest potential to be a witness for Christ. And I think the opposite is also true. When you observe a marriage, especially a Christian couple, where there is conflict, or where there is disrespect, or where there is love withheld, and, and Christ says that's a picture of Christ in the church, it doesn't match up very well. So I think, even if you're here this morning, I know we have a lot of singles here, we have a lot of youth, maybe here, you're here this morning thinking, well, you know, this isn't for me because it's about marriage. But I think it is in the interests of everyone that we have good marriages in this church. When marriages fail, families fail. When families fail, the church fails. And so it is important that we have good, solid, godly Christian marriages here. And I think, I think God wants to use those. And he uses families as well. But I think God uses that as a way to be a tremendous witness in our communities. Probably most of you could give stories of times that people have talked to you and maybe they observed your family in public and, um, and they ask questions. That's a good thing. I'd like to briefly now look at just some practical aspects of this. So if we're supposed to live in this order, if a wife is expected to submit to her husband's leadership, if the husband is expected to be the leader in the home, to be that authority figure in the home, then how, how are they going to look out for each other practically and not... Um, miss each other's needs. And so I'd like to briefly look at some of the basic needs of a wife and some of the basic needs of a husband and understanding that there are differences in the two. And if we go into marriage completely blind and unaware, then I think we're going we're gonna to come up against some, some struggles. We're going to come up against maybe some difficulties that could possibly be avoided. Start, uh, starting off with some of the basic needs of a wife. Number one here, a wife needs someone who understands her. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1. I'm going to actually read 1 to 7 because I'll keep referring back to this a couple of times here. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse 7, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, for this point, I want to just hit the first part of that last verse. It says, Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So, as a husband, our tendency is to get caught up in other things. We get so busy with work, with life, and sometimes as a husband, you come breezing in the front door and your mind is your mind is elsewhere, and you might just miss, you might even miss your wife and just you know, you're, you're, you're gone, or you have your hobbies, or you have your interests. And, but a wife needs to be known, and she needs to be understood. She wants to be understood. And Peter says, live with them according to knowledge. That knowledge means, I think it means, live with them according to what you know about her. Every woman is different. Your wife is different than the other women in the church. There's different personalities. There's, and, and there's the other dynamics. There's, there's the fears. There's the dislikes. There's the, um, maybe the habits or the tendency. Get to know who your wife is. What makes her tick? She wants to be understood. A husband can show tremendous consideration for her by making an effort to get to know those things about her. Don't just go through your own life and worry about your own things and, and, and touch base with her occasionally, but 
but seek her out. Find out what is it, what is it that my wife cares about? Who is she? Why does she respond to things the way she does? And then as a husband, he says, live with her according to that knowledge. So try to understand her. A wife needs that. She needs to be understood. <clears throat> Second part, a wife needs someone who accepts her as she is. So a few of these uh, points are kind of cumulative here. In order for you to accept her as she is, you need to know who she is. That goes back to the understanding. Get to know who she is as a person, what she cares about, uh, what's in her heart. So this, uh, this point here, learning to accept her for who she is. So what happens in marriage is it's one of the closest, it is, I think it's one of the closest relationships that exist on this earth. And there is always the possibility of, of intimacy in marriage, closeness. That is possible by vulnerability and by trust being built. And so two people coming into marriage, especially probably maybe more so for the wife, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risk going into marriage in a way. Because what if my husband doesn't fully accept me for who I am? What if when he finds out what I really am inside or the way I feel, what if he... What if he's not okay with that? And so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of risk and vulnerability that, especially at the beginning of marriage, but over time, hopefully you, you grow through that. But this building of acceptance and trust as, as the two are sharing more openly. But it is so important for a wife to feel from her husband that he accepts her for exactly who she is. Now that doesn't mean um, we can accept someone for who they are without being okay with all their behavior. This goes two ways in marriage. So sometimes we do have problems. Sometimes we have character flaws. And sometimes a wife may have character flaws. Does the husband hold at arm's length until she gets her life figured out? No, he accepts her for who she is, but his vision for her is, what could she become? If, Christ, if God really changed her, who could she be? But that wife, for her to trust her husband, she needs sense that she is completely accepted by her husband and that he recognizes her as she's unique. He doesn't compare her to his mother. He doesn't compare her to the other women in the church. He accepts her because he recognizes this is who God made her to be. She's unique and I'll, I'll accept her and love her for that. The opposite, whether it's criticizing or, or speaking negatively about who she is as a person, um, it, it goes the other way. It sends messages of rejection and it makes the marriage very difficult. So a wife needs to know she's accepted as she is. And think about these. So many of these things I'm sharing this morning. Think about how Christ, what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for me. How has he treated us? And if we take that mind of Christ in marriage, then a lot of these things will make sense. Third one here. A wife needs someone who cherishes her. So see the progression here. The husband understands her. He gets to figure her out. Once he knows who she is, he accepts her in that way. But then more than accepting her, we're going back to that concept of love. It talks about in Ephesians. A wife needs someone who cherishes her. It's another way of saying love. As I understand it, the word cherish literally means to warm, like a bird warms their young. It's a protective cherishing and protecting. A wife definitely needs the tender affection of her husband and probably even based on the passage in Ephesians, the fact that it tells the husband to love his wife and the wife to respect her husband tells me that love is pretty important to a wife. It's probably one of the key things in a marriage that the wife is going to need. So figure out what is it that makes your wife feel loved. How, how is love expressed the best to her? Get to know that in her. Fourth thing here, some of the basic needs of a wife. A wife needs someone who demonstrates strength and wisdom in leadership. Uh, also there in the passage I just read in 1 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> it says the husband's to dwell with them according to knowledge. But then at the, it says, um, the last part of that verse says, honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. There again, this is not the wife by being weaker does not make her inferior. She may be weaker physically. And a husband, in his role, can be dominating and domineering if he chooses to use his, his strength and his power in that way. It's very destructive. So 
a husband is not to misuse is not to misuse his power, but he's supposed to treat her as a weaker vessel. That means he's considerate about who she is as a person, considerate of her emotionally. He's maybe considerate of her limitations. And so a woman is drawn to that. Women like strength, but not strength that is abused or strength that is misused for selfish reasons. That's very unattractive to a wife or to any woman. A husband is to use his strength as God intended for the protection of his wife and his children, and he stands as a shield between his wife and children and maybe hardship or difficult things. Uh, He's looking out for them physically, emotionally, spiritually, but he does all this with consideration. So, young men, embrace the strength that God has given you. It's nothing to be afraid of, but we are to use our strength in a loving way. So if you go back to that concept of we're supposed to die to ourselves uh, for the sake of our wives, then that means we are also, that doesn't mean we're laying down our strength. We are using our strength, but it's not for us. It's not for ourselves. Strength and, and wisdom and leadership. And then the last one here for the wife, a wife needs someone who is faithful. <clears throat> There's a song we sometimes sing at weddings. I've helped sing it before. Um, out of Song of Solomon, Chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, it says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Solomon expressed how strong love is, which is a good thing. There is a proper jealousy in a marriage. This love is something to be treasured and guarded. It is okay to a degree for us to be jealous of our spouse's love. It is exclusively for us. It is not for a third party. It's not for someone else to come and compete in the marriage. When we make our vows to our spouses, we're basically saying, I belong to you, you belong to me. And Solomon says, this love, it, it's as strong, it's like a flame, it's like a fire, strong as death. But when that love is betrayed, it's devastating. It's very devastating. So a wife needs a faithful husband. A faithful husband will guard, his tr- will guard uh, this trust from his wife. He doesn't flirt with other women. He is a one-woman man. I think there can be maybe a, a, an improper jealousy in a spouse that can be rooted in selfishness where there's suspicion and always maybe criticism towards a spouse and never quite trusting them. Um, I think there can be that. That can be a bit of a problem. But as a rule, this love is it's very intense and it's to be guarded. A wife needs to know that her husband is faithful. She needs to have the assurance that when my husband leaves the house, He's still faithful to me. He's still committed to me. And I can always trust that when he comes home, he's still been faithful to me. A wife needs that. What about a husband's needs? In a lot of ways, um, the husband's needs are, are, are a counterpart to the wife's. I believe when we talked about out of uh, Genesis in the previous messages, when God created Adam, Adam, Adam was fully created, he was fully complete, and yet he was missing something. He was missing a mate, and God made a completely different human. He made a woman that, that helped complement Adam. They're both fully, I think you could say they were both made in the image of God, and yet the full image of God wasn't fully complete until they both existed, if that makes sense. They needed each other. Adam needed Eve. Eve needed Adam. And so when you think about the needs of a man in marriage, it's very similar, but it's, it's geared towards where God placed him in the order. So you see in these, a woman very much, these tend to be more caring type needs for a woman. She needs to know that her husband loves her, he understands her, he cherishes her, all these things, that he's using his strength well and that he's faithful. What does a husband need? Let's look at a few of those yet. A husband needs someone who depends on him. There's something about a woman depending on a man that makes him want to rise up and be manly. I remember when we first got married, um, first couple of years. Well, we, our first year, we lived here in, in Napanee, 
And then our second year, we moved down to Belize, and we're down there for a couple of years. And I remember as, you know, I, I remember as I had to take on more responsibilities and, and I was put into uh, situations I wasn't, wouldn't have been comfortable with, I remember thinking about how different I felt about this being married. Now, don't take this wrong if you're single, but there was something about the fact that my wife believed in me and that she trusted in me that made me want to step up and be a man, and I I can do this. And I felt like suddenly I was capable of a lot more than I had been before. I think that's somewhat natural. I think think as a man, God has put us in that order that we are to be the head, and with that comes responsibility, but there also comes an urge to, I want to lead, and I want to protect, and I want to do all these things that the woman needs. And so a husband, he needs that. He needs to know that his wife depends on him, not in a, not in a real needy way where she can't do anything, but where she looks to him and says, hey, I need you, I need you to, to be this for me. I need, you to, I need your, your leadership. I need your, uh, I need your care. And the man wants to step up to that. He wants to provide care for and protect. This brings him fulfillment. <clears throat> in the same way that a man can misuse his strength to dominate a woman, I think a woman can also misuse her, her needs in this way. A woman can use her neediness, as it were, to control a man. So it, it, takes, it takes a working together of husband and wife that he doesn't overuse his strength in a way that's selfish and that she doesn't use her weakness as a way to manipulate or control uh, from underneath his leadership. A husband also needs someone who accepts him as he is, very similar to his wife. A husband needs the encouragement of his wife and the acknowledgement that she recognizes what he's doing in the marriage. This too, for both husband and wife, um, while, this, while they can really flourish in this area, if they're both being accepted for who they are, the opposite is also true. When there is nagging criticism or negativity towards each other in this, in this way, then it breaks down the marriage. It breaks down a communication between the two. And it signals rejection to each of them. So if a wife, her acceptance of her husband, it doesn't mean necessarily her complete approval. Like I said earlier for the wife, he may need to grow. He may be way short of what he should be as a man. Maybe his leadership efforts are just, you know, they're lacking sometimes. But give him encouragement. Accept him for who he is and encourage him to become more and more who he should be as he lets Christ work in his life. Support him. Become all that intends for him to be. Third need of a husband. A husband needs someone who encourages and supports him. Genesis, when, when uh, the Lord, it says, the Lord God said, 2.18, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Or it also says suitable, I think, in the King James. I will make him Helper who is comparable to him. A woman and a wife, she is not in competition with her husband. She, she brings a completely different package, as it were, to, to the relationship. They're not competing, but they are learning how to work together in a way that complements each other and that they make up for each other's strengths and weaknesses. Every husband has weaknesses, so his wife, as she brings her strength to him in the marriage... It has a way of, it improves him as well. He, he can rise up to, um, to do better in, in his own life. What are some ways that a wife can maybe encourage her husband in this way? I think one is gratitude. Um, it always means a lot to me when my wife expresses gratitude. Thank you for taking care of this or thank you for something, you've, you know, something that I've done. Uh, smile, gratefulness, maybe even finding joy when there's difficult circumstances. That can be very uh, a boost for her husband. Helps fill, fulfill one of the basic needs of his life. Encouragement and support. Help him become who God intends for him to be. Number four, a wife needs his... I'm sorry, a husband needs his wife's femininity in the home atmosphere. What do I mean by that? I'm not going to read it, but in Timothy, he says that the, uh, the young women, the older women were supposed to teach the younger women to be keepers at home. Only, I think only a wife can make a home feel homey. Right, husbands? If you husbands have ever been home alone for a couple of days or a weekend, and especially if you have children, and your wife is gone for a couple of days, it just doesn't feel like a home anymore. Everything looks the same. It's the same house. It's the same 
dishes, it's the same furniture, but there's something about when your wife comes back home, uh, suddenly it just, it feels like home. What is that, what is that thing that a woman brings? I think it's her femininity. I think it's her womanliness. It's, it's what God, it's what Adam lacked when he was looking around saying, hey, I'm missing, I'm missing a mate here. And God gives him a mate and she brings that and she makes, she makes the home homey and makes it uh, have an atmosphere. So while the husband is the head, he's responsible and he's supposed to do all these things as the leader, he is very inadequate to give that hominess to, to the home. And so whether it's hospitality, whether it's just the warmth, um, just the atmosphere of the home, a husband needs that from his wife. She brings a very, she's a very key part of making that home have that kind of an atmosphere. Her creativity, her intelligence, her management skills, her planning, all those things that she brings, uh, those things cannot be duplicated by her husband. Sorry, guys. We can try, but we can't do what our wives can do. So wives, if you bring this into the home, it's a tremendous blessing to your husband. And the last need here, I'd like to look at basic needs of a husband. A husband also needs someone who is faithful. Faithful love in marriage stirs the sweetest emotions in human relationships. I don't know if there's a more close, intimate relationship than marriage when there's faithfulness. But unfaithfulness stirs some of the bitterest emotions. It's like Solomon said, this love, it is, it's strong, it's a flame, it's like a fire. But when it gets betrayed, the hurt and the bitterness and whatever that comes behind that is just as strong. Love is fragile and needs to be protected. So I gave you these two lists for us to think about. If we want to model who Christ in the church and what that, what that looks like in a marriage, then get to know your spouse. Get to know what, who they are. Get to know how can I meet their needs. And as we bring ourselves into a marriage, and we bring ourselves in 100%, we don't, this is not a 50-50 arrangement. You give 100% to the marriage, your spouse gives 100% to the marriage, and it has an opportunity to flourish. One of the understanding each other's needs, I think, is the first step that love takes towards meeting those needs. If we start to become very selfish in our marriage, and we start looking at our own needs and our own desires, then we are going to be, um, we're going to end up in self-pity rather than self-sacrifice that we've been called to. An unhealthy marriage relationship does not reflect God's picture of the church. Um, as we, I'd like to bring this here to a close real shortly here. <clears throat> Sometimes marriages don't work out very well. It does disrupt the picture that God has of Christ in the church. But how do we work through these things? I'd like, to, I'd like to share a couple of principles here to think about that when we're trying to work through difficulties in marriage, because probably all of us here at some point have hit some bumps in our marriages. If you're, if you're married here this morning, you know what it's like to maybe miscommunication happens or you're in a season of life where, you know, marriage is just a little tough and those feelings aren't there and you're trying to work through these things. How do we, how do we make progress when we're going through some of these things? couple principles I want to leave you here. Four principles to be understood in working through marriage difficulties. <clears throat> First one is this. Only those who follow God's plan will experience God's blessing. Now, what does that mean? Such a basic statement. It comes back to the, the headship order as we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. If we, have, if we have accepted that order and we're willing to work within that framework, then I think God can give us a lot of grace even when things in the marriage aren't, aren't looking very pretty. If we are outside of that order, if a husband, I'm not leading my home, I'm not being like it says, that we're supposed to love like Christ's love. And if I've, maybe I'm just passive, and I step aside and I let my wife um, lead the home, I'm out of order. It's going to be very difficult for me to experience God's blessing on my home. If a wife steps out of her order, she's to submit to her husband. She doesn't trust him, and so she takes over, and she becomes domineering, out of, she's out of her order, then I believe that the same is true as well. So if we, at the very base, if going into marriage difficulties or trying to improve a marriage, if we, first of all, start at the, at the very foundational uh, belief of what, this is what God says, this is his order, I'm going to do my best, I'm committed 
to being where he wants me to be in this order. That's, that's the first uh, step in experiencing some of God's blessing. The husband is to lead, his wife is to be his support. A wife can help support him in his weak areas, but she's never supposed to assume his role. And on the flip side, even if his wife is out of place, a husband is never free to force her into submission. Both of these positions, I believe, are willing and um, acts of the will of both the husband and the wife. So the temptation, I'm sure, for a wife is if her husband doesn't lead well, i got to step in. The temptation for the husband, if he resents the way his wife, maybe she's not in submission to him, he wants to really put the hammer down and, and become, um, become a very harsh leader. That's also not, that's not We're out of line when we do that. We don't have the freedom as men to force our wife's support if we want God's blessing. So again, if we come into this with a commitment that I'm going to give 100% of myself, then we have a way forward. A second principle to think about, <clears throat> when the husband or wife is not what God intends in their role, it's other and brings stress into the marriage. I've kind of alluded to this already, but a difficult husband is very hard to follow. I, years ago, was delivering a shed. This is probably over 10 years ago. It was out in Plymouth. And I don't remember, I don't remember the customers coming in to buy it, but I do remember the delivery. It was in the middle of winter. It was cold. It was snowy. And it was a big building, and I, I drove into this place here, and so both the man and the woman were out there, and I was trying to figure out how to set the shed. And, and as they were there, and as they started to talk to each other, and the way they talked to each other, I, I, it was so awkward. He was so mean to her, just very unkind, and, or very sarcastic. And she, in return, was just going at him, too, and the way she would talk to him was disrespectful. And, and yet she was kind of almost like, like wanting him to like, you know, like help me, like be, help me make this decision. And he just kind of, well, whatever you want, you know, and he was very noncommittal and it was very clear that he was going to let her make the call and then he wasn't going to be happy about it. Like that's, that was going to be the outcome in his mind. And she made it very difficult, he was making it very difficult for her and very unloving. And I just recall, and they were, old, they were an older couple. Um, I'm guessing they could have been seventies. They were not, they were not young. And I, as I was there, I thought, wow, what a way to live your life, that you get to towards the end of life, and in your marriage, this is the way you talk to each other, and this is the way you experience life together. What total misery. Well, it's true that sometimes we're not at our best as spouses, as husbands, and as wives. And so when one of us is off, and I put the, I put the, the majority of the blame on the husband, because Ephesians made it very clear. The husband is to be like Christ in the marriage, in the way he loves, in the way he leads. So if the husband is not leading well, or if he's antagonistic to his wife, it puts a stress on her. It makes it very difficult for her to be in her role and submitting the way God has called her to. And the, the, the reverse is also true. A wife that is, is running ahead of her husband becomes more difficult to love and cherish. It doesn't take away responsibility, but it, it adds a pressure into the marriage. So... If you're trying to work through difficulties in marriage, maybe the question is, am I the one that's bringing some of this pressure on my spouse? Does my spouse find it difficult to be in his or her role because I'm being difficult in my role? And take some personal ownership of that. I think it's so, so foundational that we, that we get this, that we learn how to show um, consideration and understanding. Am I being what I'm supposed to be in my marriage? in the place where God has, has put me. Third principle here. The most effective way to help an out-of-place spouse is to be the godly spouse God calls you to be with maximum effort and energy. And I put that there at the last, maximum effort and energy. You know, in a normal marriage, or in, I'm sorry, not a normal, in a healthy marriage where we are, we're finding a way forward, we're functioning well, you kind of get some momentum, you know? It's like, becomes easy to love. It becomes easy to respect because we're moving forward. Well, when that's not there and feelings are not there, it takes more than just the normal amount of love or the normal amount of maybe respect. It takes maybe double the effort. It takes a lot of hard work. But if your spouse is not what you believe God wants them to be, you can tell them all day what their faults are. But most times, a husband who is authoritarian 
and is not leading well probably won't respond well if his wife lets him know. A wife that is not in her place in submission will probably not respond well if her husband tells her that in that way. How are you going to win each other? Uh, it was in First Peter where it talked about the wives winning their husbands by, the, by, their, by their conversation, by their lifestyle. Now, that was in an unbeliever situation, I think. But the idea is, is we can win our spouse to a better way by our own behavior and by our own character. So there has to be a commitment that, okay, I'm going to give all the effort I can and hopefully let God, God change them. But if we, want to, if we want to punish them and really let them know where they're failing, then we're probably going to be like that old couple in Plymouth who at 70 years old is still bickering and they're still going at it and they're miserable. Neither one has figured out how to give what the other one needs and neither one has figured out how to change themselves. And then a fourth principle here. Marriage is for life. You get into tough situations in marriage. That's something I appreciate about our, I believe, our church culture here and maybe the broader Anabaptist culture is we do, I think we do pretty well with this commitment. doesn't always mean we do well in the marriages, but the commitment that marriage is for life, I think, is foundational. So when I go into difficulties, if I don't have this level of a commitment to my marriage, then it's so easy to look for an off-ramp. I think that's why divorce, um, even in the church, has become so, so prevalent is because if you don't have the concept that this is for life, then when it gets too hard, it's easier just to bail out. Marriage is for life. Sometimes bad decisions are made in the selection of a marriage partner, but God calls us to faithfulness to our vows. And I think, I think we can be honest enough to say that this does happen. Sometimes people in their youth make hasty decisions in finding a life partner. Uh, maybe they don't do well in the process. That may be true. But once the marriage comes together, once the vows have been made, we are committed to stick it out. We could always say, I married the wrong person. We could always say, this was a mistake. But God, God views the marriage vow as a very sacred thing. Christ will never divorce his church. The church is always to be faithful and subject to Christ. So that's an enduring relationship. A I believe as, as, as much as we're getting touched by this in our own community, I believe divorce mars the picture of Christ in the church. It damages it tremendously. That's, that's very hard to say, but it does. We have to have a commitment that we're going we're gonna to stick it out. We're going to be faithful. And I believe on the backside of that commitment, God gives grace to work through difficult things. You may have two people in the marriage that are just, they don't seem to fit well. But if they are committed to obeying God and to being faithful to their vows, I think God can start to do a changing and do a mighty work. And it's not going to be easy. I'm sure there are Christian marriages that maybe, maybe they're difficult for the, for the duration of the marriage. But I think there's something honoring to God when we choose to obey Him and say, the only way I'm going to be able to work through my difficulties in marriage is if I stay committed and I'm going to do this no matter what. It's time to close. Submission in marriage. Love is a commitment. Brothers and sisters, love ultimately is a commitment. And that love, I think, is still, I go back to, it's only possible with the love of Christ within us. 1 John 4, 7 says, love is of God. So if we want to be able to love in marriage the way he calls us to, it has to be produced in us by God, first of all so that we can deal with the selfishness in our own heart and be able to um, be committed to our spouse sacrificially. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you so much, Lord, that we are given a picture of Christ in the church, and it's through marriage. Lord, I believe this, this concept is, is very much being assaulted in our culture today. And Lord, it's even in the church. Uh, marriages, the commitment to marriage has, has been broken in many ways. And maybe we see that close to home for some of us here this morning. It's very difficult. Father, I just believe that you have 
from the beginning of time until the end of time, marriage has been the picture of Christ and the church, and you've intended that picture to remain pure. And I believe you, you desire for us to have marriages that display that. Lord, I also believe that marriage is, is key to the health of, of the church, to the health of good families. Lord, I just pray this morning for the marriages represented in this church this morning here at Sandy Ridge. Lord, wherever we may find ourselves, would you help us as husbands to love our wives the way you love the church? I pray for the wives this morning to have a commitment to submit to their husbands as the church does to Christ. And Lord, would you just deal with the selfishness in our own hearts? And Lord, we still are, we still are in the flesh and we, and we war against the flesh. And, and so much of the issue, or so many of the issues we face, I believe, come from our selfishness. So Father, just uh, show us if there's things in our lives where we need to repent. And I just thank you, Lord, again, for your mercies on us. And I want to give you all the honor and glory you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to put one last quote up here. I forgot. I had one more screen. You can, uh, you can take a look at that. At